spoke briefly this morning with Dr. Ivy, or as you, I'm sure, affectionately called him, Pastor Kevin, and he let me know he's praying for me this morning, and I told him, I said, I'm not Kevin, I said, but me and Kevin, we sure serve the same God, and that's my uh, hope this morning is in God. If you open your Bible this morning to Psalm 1, the first psalm, psalms are songs, if you will, and so it's really not a chapter, but it's what we call it, chapter 1, the first psalm. This is God's infallible, inerrant, and inspired word. Infallible, it cannot be wrong, inerrant, it contains no errors, and it is inspired. It is God-breathed, God-given to us, Psalm 1. There should be some quotes up this morning during the opening. Uh, These are all from Dr. Lawson. He says, no matter where a person is in the Christian life, whether up or down, soaring or struggling, there is a psalm that speaks directly to the spiritual state of his heart. He continues, the psalms were written to guide believers in the proper worship of God and used rightly are to be sung devotionally prayed fervently, preached evangelistically, and taught expositionally. The primary purpose of the book of Psalms is found in its intensely, intensely God-centered focus to direct our hearts toward him in every experience of life. And then he concludes, the book of Psalms has influenced the public worship and the private devotion of God's people through the centuries, leading them to seek him more diligently, to love him more deeply, and to trust him more fully. And church, that's been my prayer for you specifically this week and for myself, that as we look to the Psalms this morning, that we indeed would seek God more diligently, that you would love him more deeply, and that you would trust him more fully. Let us pray. Our God and our King, we, we need you. We need your help. Oh Lord, would you speak to us by the power of your Spirit through your word this morning. Make us a people that do not fear man, but make us a people that fear you. You're good, you're gracious, You're kind, you're the ruler, you're our king. Oh Lord, and may we bow, may we bow to your sovereign rule. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. When we get a a bigger, uh, um, we could say a more accurate, a truer view of God, then our lives will be transformed. And the Psalms will do this for us and, and to us Because what the Psalms do is they show us more of God. They show us more of who he is. The Hebrew title for Psalms is the book of praises or simply just called praises. And every emotion is contained and displayed in the Psalms. And as I I preach the Psalms to you for as long as I'm needed, my goal for us is not for us to master the Psalms, but for us to be mastered by the Psalms. And so with the help of God, 
Let us begin our worshipful journey into this great hymn book of God's people. Read with me Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, the first psalm beginning in verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. But they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. The Bible encourages us to look for true eternal happiness. And as we look to Psalm 1 this morning, we're going to see two types of people with two types of lifestyles with two very, very different outcomes. Read with me again verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. How blessed. That word blessed there means how very happy. It's someone that has God's favor upon their life. It's the joyful spiritual condition of those who are made right with God. Uh, they have this pleasure and this satisfaction that comes from knowing God and knowing him and his kindness towards them regardless of what happens. Being blessed here is a deep sense of well-being. It's a joy that comes from God's graces in your life. Blessed here means your soul fully and only satisfied in Jesus. And so we see here what a blessed man does not do, and what we'll see is ultimately this regression or this deterioration of what an unblessed person does do. Look at verse 1. It says, the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not walk. A blessed man, a godly man, a godly woman, someone that has been born again, someone that is a Christian, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What that means is you don't take your advice from the wicked. Your version may say from the ungodly. The ungodly or the wicked, they are the people that leave God out. Uh, they do not fear God. They live as if God does not exist. The wicked are the unbelievers and therefore they will remain guilty before God. Here they have not come to faith in Jesus for salvation. They've not experienced God's forgiveness. So they are guilty before a holy God. And so the, the wicked or the ungodly are those who are corrupt internally. But the blessed man, the blessed woman, the blessed child, the one that knows God, the Christian is the one who does not walk in their counsel. The Christian will refuse secular philosophy. A Christian will refuse the idea that man is the center of the universe. And we must be aware of the opinions, be aware of the associations, 
be aware of the advice of sinful people. And so therefore, we must be in God's word and we must guard against that. We must even defend the faith that was once delivered to the saints. The Christian will do this. They will affirm and defend that God is the ruler and that God is the Lord of all and that God's word is the final authority. That's what a Christian, that is what a blessed person will do. Someone that is unblessed or someone that is uh, the wicked or the ungodly, what happens is they move into sin and disobedience gradually. It may start as a harmless bit of advice from an unbeliever, but they'll ultimately end up dangerously close and being connected with someone who seeks to destroy the faith. So first, as someone would slip into sin, they're influenced by sin. Perhaps you laugh at sin in a joke or a sin that you see on TV or in a movie or a sin that you hear a a bad joke at work. And maybe you even look up to an ungodly person, an ungodly celebrity perhaps. Maybe it's just an ungodly coworker. You begin to slightly look up to them. Maybe you take in media that makes sin look and sound very appealing. You listen to sinners, and then secretly you're kind of wanting to be like them. What you're doing ultimately is you're meditating upon sin. That's what the Bible calls walking in the counsel of the wicked, taking advice from the wicked. Continues here in verse one. The blessed is the man who does not take advice or who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And he also does not do this. He does not stand in the path of sinners. First they were walking. Now we see one that is standing. To stand you must stop. You've stopped walking. And now perhaps as you stand you're even waiting for the wicked to walk by. You're looking forward to what sinful advice they may give you. You're standing. You're giving a commitment to. You're taking a stand for sin ultimately. So as you stand, you're, you're halting and you're stopping to consider the lifestyle of the sinner. You stop and you stand with the sinners in the path, as verse one says. That path, your version may say the way, and what that means is now you're considering and stopping with their lifestyle. You're stopping and considering what the sinner's attitude is and their outlooks, and slowly you begin to adopt that. Their habits become your habits. Here they're called sinners, the ungodly. The one that is unblessed is called a sinner. A sinner is someone that has missed the mark of God's law, but they don't care. They're either ignorantly or intentionally failing to obey God. A sinner is someone that practices sin. But the blessed person, the blessed person does not stand in that path but they resist the lure of the crowd. The worldly crowd must be resisted. As a blood-bought Christian, you cannot take part in carnal activities. You cannot take part in sensual living, but you take your stand for God. You take your stand for his kingdom, even if you stand alone. As has been said before, one person in God That's the majority. 
And then we see this regression in the next line, the last line of verse one, nor sit in the seat of scoffer. A blessed person is someone that does not sit in the seat of scoffer. So first walking, and then we're, we're standing. We've stopped to stand, and now seated, sitting. To sit means joining in with the world. You're now being identified with them. You have a seat among your God-hating peers. You're now one of them in your actions. You've sat down, meaning it's a settled attitude of the heart. I'm taking this stand. And then you sit in their seat of the scoffer. You know what a scoffer is? It's someone that makes you laugh as you turn away from God. They'll tell jokes that call evil, it's good. And they'll call good, evil. They try to make you feel stupid for following God. That's a scoffer. But a blessed man, he does not associate with them. He does not associate and follow after the blasphemer. A scoffer will mock eternity. He'll make light of sin. He'll see no significance in heaven or hell. He'll laugh at God. Oh, but not the righteous. Not the godly. He knows better. We don't go along with the apostates. We don't go along with the God deniers. We don't go along with the God haters, but we evangelize them. We proclaim the unadulterated gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ to them. A scoffer will make fun of God's way, a scoffer will ridicule what is holy. But when someone begins to laugh at holy things, when someone begins to disobey holy laws, when that becomes entertainment for them, a low level has been reached. And so do you see this, this gradual, this spiral downwards, settling into sin in stages, walking, then stopping and standing, and then sitting down with the wrong crowd. To sit in the seat as we see here in the last line of verse one, to sit in the seat means you're joining up now. You're now one of them. Your habits of sin controlling your life, they're established. Sin has you in a chokehold. But let me remind you, though that scoffer seat, though it is very well known and though it may even be viewed prestigiously, the seat of the scoffer is very, very near the gates of hell. And so if you take your spiritual advice from the world instead of God's word, you'll gradually begin living like the world. And you'll become more entangled in that sin. But to be blessed, you must live according to God's word, to God's standard. Well, let's be honest this morning. We've not always lived according to God's word, have we? Too often we have taken some advice and some counsel from the ungodly, from the wicked. Too often we've, we've stood with sinners. And maybe we've even laughed and made fun of someone who's trying to follow after God. That means we're sinners. And yet the Bible here tells us that blessed is the man. And the understanding of that verb is Blessed is the man that has never sinned. And blessed is the truly righteous person that has never been involved with sin. So the blessings of Psalm 1 are for those who have always been separated from sin. 
Who can achieve this? There's only one person that has ever lived. He's only one person that has ever lived this psalm out perfectly. So how's that good news for you, and how is that good news for me? Here's how. For the Christian, we are joined together with Jesus by trusting in his life, his death, his resurrection. If you are in Christ this morning, your life is wrapped up in him. On the cross, he took your sin and he gave us his righteousness. And since by faith, Jesus' righteousness is given to us, then all the blessings, all the blessings of Psalm 1 are ours as well. Our slide says Proverbs 3, 34, though he scoffs, speaking of God, though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. God's not intimidated by those who make fun of him. God's not uh, feeling bad about himself, about those that laugh at him and mock him and rage against him. The Bible says that he, he laughs at them. He scoffs back at them. He derides them. God scoffs at the scoffers. It's a very scary thing to have God laugh at you. But he continues, the verse does in Proverbs 3.34, says, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The word afflicted is understood as lowly. Humble, needy. What a great promise in the last portion of that verse. He gives grace to the afflicted. We are afflicted on every side, are we not? We are a needy people. He says he gives grace to those. You need his grace. To the lowly and to the humble. Not the scoffer, not the prideful, not the arrogant, not the one that is puffed up and thinks he is the ruler of his own destiny, but the Lord gives grace to the one who is lowly and who is humble. We must humble ourselves under the mighty right hand of God. Continues in verse two, read with me. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Who is this? The blessed man, the Christian, the godly woman, the godly man, the blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. You see that word, he delights. That's a hard action. He delights. He takes great joy and great pleasure in the word of God. He delights. And then you see the next line says he meditates day and night. Meditates is now a head action. We see the heart and we see the head are engaged. There's a delighting in God from the heart, from the emotions, from the affections. And then there is a meditating in your mind mulling it over. We are to treasure and love God and his word, and then as we ponder and dwell upon God and his word, we love him more, and as we love him more, we study more, and as we study more, we meditate more, and as we learn more of God, we love him more, and that drives us to learn more, to meditate more. They're feeding off each other, the head and the heart engaged. Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The word law there, generally speaking, is the instruction that comes from God. God's word is the standard. Newsflash, that's not up for debate. God's word is the standard. We don't, we don't get to decide that. 
He makes the rules. So an example of that would be when a Christian is confronted with God's word, they'll be humble. They'll submit. They'll admit that they're wrong. There's this wonderful couple that I've been meeting with, just discipling new in the faith. And there was a, a, a lesson that recently came up that we were going through. It was, uh, it was something in their life that was lacking in their new Christian faith. And no one wants to, to point out, hey, this is where you're lacking, man. We know it's necessary, we know it's needed. We're to reprove and rebuke with gentleness and love, but we shouldn't have great pleasure in telling someone, hey, this is where you're, you're messing up a little bit in your Christian life. And so I knew as I would go through this lesson with them, I would have to confront them with this issue that I thought, you know, either I'm gonna receive an excuse or they're gonna get very angry and we'll just not meet anymore. And as I brought this to bear that was lacking in their Christian life, both of their attitudes were, you're right, we see it in scripture, we're gonna do the right thing. That's what a Christian does. A Christian submits to the scripture as the final authority. Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. That, that phrase there, day and night, it means all the time. So how are we gonna meditate on God's word all the time? We must memorize God's word. So all the time, night or day, you can meditate upon it. You can mull it over. You can, you can mumble it under your breath. Really what that means is how you kind of read something under your breath. You're kind of mumbling to yourself. You're kind of rolling it around. In the South, oftentimes it's, it's said just chewing the cud. But we are to meditate on the word of God. And then your spiritual life will grow. That means rolling it over and over and over again in your mind until it becomes a part of your life. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, is God's word nourishing and sustaining your life? Or are you starving to death because you will not go to the scriptures? This psalm is stressing the importance of meditating on God's word. The blessed life is one that meditates on the law of God. So let me ask you this this morning. What do you meditate upon the most? What, what do you think about the most? Is it your bitcoins? Is it your next vacation? Is it retirement around the corner? Is it a wayward child? What would it be? What do you think about the most? And just as a book's index will tell you what's in the book, what you think about the most will show you what's in your heart. And so you must read and you must study and you must know God's word to be able to meditate on it. It's an all-day chatter. As our slide says, we must memorize God's word to meditate on God's word. It's just always it's the background music of your life. Verse three, read with me. He will be, speaking again of the blessed man, the one that is following after Christ, he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its life, or excuse me, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, prospers. A blessed man's life is this. It is a planted tree. Notice it is not a wild tree, but it is a chosen tree. It is considered property. I chose that tree. I planted that tree. That tree is mine. 
And that planted tree is tended to. It's taken care of. It's not a wild growing tree, but it is one that has been dug up from the old life and it has been taken out and set specifically and carefully in God's garden. There is a purpose and a plan for the life of the believer. And notice here in verse three, the tree's not just planted, but it is firmly planted. Your life is established because you want what God wants and you do what God would have you do. Because you know God by knowing his word. And then we see that it's watered by streams. That's a a plural word. More than one stream, streams. So if one stream dries up, there's more. There's an overabundance. God's children are watered with God's grace. In a Christian life, we see here is a fruitful life. Your life is full of obedience and good works in its season. God brings different seasons into our lives. So I'll ask you this morning to to think about this. What season is God the Holy Spirit revealing to you now? Are you in a season of thanksgiving and praise? Are you in a season that God is calling you to mending relationships? Maybe it's a season of seeking restoration. Maybe he has you in a season of healing. Maybe he has you in a season of humbling you. Are you in a season that God is causing you to trust him more? Or is God calling you to a season of service where you put others and your church before self? Is God calling you to a season of revival? Or is God calling you to a season of leadership? At such a time as this, what is God calling you to? And walking in God's way and walking in the light of his instruction, it brings great delight. And it produces stability. It produces fruitfulness. And you will endure when the judgment of God comes. You'll stand. Notice also in verse 3, and its leaf does not wither. We're living in a time when people don't know what is right and wrong. But let me assure you this morning, church, God knows. God does not change. And God's word does not change. It doesn't change with the seasons of secular, godless culture. You can know the mind of God if you will take up his word. And if you will meditate upon his holy scriptures. Continues in verse 3, the last phrase, and in whatever he does, the blessed life, in whatever he does, he prospers. When the child of God meditates upon God's word, you will obey it. And that is success. That is joy. To prosper is to succeed, to accomplish the work that God has set out for you to do. And you may say this, but we suffer. We're afflicted. We we must bear our cross. And we have bitter and distressing trials. Yes. Oh, yes. But they will be sweet to you. They will be sweet to you in a way the world does not understand. And they will be sweet to you when you begin to understand that all of this life is in God's tender, fatherly 
hands. In God's kind providence to his people, he will bring order out of confusion. You may be thinking to yourself this morning, Christian, well, this current season of my life doesn't look very prosperous. But it's this, listen closely, it's oftentimes our trials that bring the greatest victories. Our slide says, for the true child of God, in our sorrows and losses are often hid our greatest blessings. So we see the godly person in verse one through three. It's ultimately a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, he's the path, he's the lifestyle, he's the way, he's the truth. His truths don't change, and he's the life. He's the life, we need his life. Look at verse four. It says, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. The Latin Vulgate and the Septuagint, the Latin and the Greek translation of the Hebrew, translates verse four, not so. The wicked, not so. It's this double negative. This is not the case for the wicked. They don't live the blessed life. The godless don't delight on the law of God. They do not meditate on the commandments of God. They don't prosper. They are not firmly planted. They are not grounded in truth. Their lives are not fruitful, but this is what they are. They are withered and they have no growth. They do not prosper. Verse four, but the wicked are not so, not so, but they are like chaff. And so a modern local version of that for us, a regional version of that would be when you're driving by a cornfield and I'm not a farmer but they have the combine, if that's the right word, and they're, they're plowing over these corn stalks and they're, they're sucking in the corn and shooting it out in, into the truck, but you see all this dust behind it, all these flakes and all these particles, and usually what we do is we roll our windows up, like, I don't want that dust. It's just a huge cloud of dust behind them. For us, that would be the chaff. Look at that imagery. Isn't that something? The chaff is... This, this flaky, dusty, nothing worthless stuff. But the righteous, but the righteous, they are a firmly planted, grounded in the truth, strong, fruitful tree. The chaff is, it's the husk, it's the outer covering of the wheat. The chaff is, is separated from the actual seed. It's showing there's a contrast to the righteous. The righteous are well watered, they're fruit producing. The righteous has lives that have leaves that are full of life, but the wicked, the ungodly, they're dead. They have no roots, they're blown about, and ultimately the Bible says they are destined for the fire. What scripture is telling us here is that the chaff is worth nothing. And it says for the wicked, for the one who has not come to the Lord Jesus Christ, their life is like chaff. It is blown here and it is blown there. There's no foundation, there's no resting place, there's no foothold, there's no purpose. They do not possess an eternal perspective. Their life has no eternal impact. They have no savior. They don't know the one who is life and peace and wisdom. 
They don't know the one who is a strong tower and a firm foundation. Ultimately, they and their lives are worthless. And I don't say that mockingly. I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that lightly. To call something worthless, it is very grave. It's a very, very solemn, very sober statement. Those who are not in the fold, those who do not know Jesus as Savior, the Bible says they are worthless. The picture of the wicked is this, empty, void, no value, futile, and the end to be burned in the fire. Does that not shake you? Does that not make you uncomfortable? Don't let this be you. Go to God. Go to God by believing in Jesus that your sins would be forgiven and that you would be made right with God. Listen, unbelievers, they don't have a desire to please God. They do not understand the faith-filled life. They do not obey God, and as a result, they produce nothing of value to God. And so you may be thinking this, well, I know people who, you know, they do good things. They're not Christians, but, you know, I mean, they're all right. You know, they do some nice stuff. Listen, the Bible's very clear on that. The Bible says that unless good works are done by faith, and unless good works are done to the glory of God, they are worthless to God, and they do not have any merit before him. Verse 5 continues, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Because of this, because of the worthlessness of their life, they will not stand in the judgment. Now this does not mean that they won't be at the judgment. This doesn't mean that they won't be judged at the judgment. But it means that the wicked will not be vindicated at the judgment. They won't be able to stand They'll not be found acceptable. They'll not stand, but they will collapse. They won't be pardoned, but they'll, they'll be weighed and found lacking. They won't stand, but they will cower and they will shrink back. They won't stand, but they will be exposed and then they will be ushered away from the joyful assembly of God's people. Those who have not come to God through faith in Jesus those who have not come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, they will be not counted among the righteous. In other words, those who have not turned from sin and self to Jesus. Oftentimes in churches we speak as repentance and faith. That's true, that's accurate, that's biblical, that's the gospel, Jesus preached it. But repentance is not only turning from, but it's turning to. You're turning from your hope and anything else. You're turning from your sin, you're turning from serving self, and you're turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Only those will be counted among the righteous. The righteous are those who are given the righteousness of Christ Jesus by faith. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. When we see the blessing of the godly next to the emptiness of the wicked, this contrast, it should make us choose life. Lastly, verse six. 
for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. How does the Lord God know how to assemble the righteous, and how does he know how to separate the unrighteous? Because he knows their way. He knows their path. He knows who they are on every level. The word here in verse 6, do you see that? The very last verse, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word here, way, in verse 6 is the same word used for path in verse 1. So, for the Lord knows the way or the Lord knows the path of the righteous. Verse 6 is saying, God knows your journey. He knows your direction. God knows your habits. He knows your manner of life. He knows the overall course of your life. In verse 6, it's just so blunt. It's so clear. It says the wicked will perish. A life without Jesus as Lord and Savior is a dead end. It leads to destruction. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. God is constantly knowing and looking their way. The Christian, he knows your way, Christian. You're not lost. He hasn't forgot about you. He hasn't pushed you over into a dark corner. But if you've come to faith in him, he knows your path. And it's much more than just a a mental awareness. It's a much more of just a, a casting glance. It's more than just having a general knowledge. But God is intimately acquainted with his children. God is not just informed, but he is involved and he is near. He's familiar with your life, with your path, with your way, because it's his way. It's his path. It's the road that leads to him. It's a close and living God where he is concerned and he cares and where God is inclined to us and he is bound to us by love. Our slide, John 10, 14 says, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Verse six tells us the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows his children. The blessed prosper because God is watching over them. But no one watches over the wicked to protect them and to bless them. And notice it's not just the wicked that perish, but even their way. The very last line of verse 6. But the way of the wicked will perish. God is expressing the utter nothingness of their way. And he is expressing the finality of his judgment. In the final judgment, when God purges sin from this world, when God rights every wrong, He'll take every trace of the wicked away. Even their footsteps, even their path, it'll be wiped away. But until this happens, Christian, you have the opportunity. No, more than that. You have a divine mandate to witness to those who do not know God. To witness to those who are not following Christ. We strive to bring them to God that they would be reconciled to him. Believers, Christians, you can be called righteous because you are justified. You've been declared righteous by God through the gospel. God's blessing is on those who obey him, who obey his word, who meditate upon his word, 
And God's ultimate judgment will be on those who rebel against him. We, we cannot be conformed, Christian. We cannot be conformed to this world. Because if we are, then we'll also be condemned with this world. But we must be, as the Bible says, we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So how do we renew our mind? Jesus prays in what is often called the high priestly prayer. Your slide here on John 17, 17. This is Jesus' prayer, and this is what he says. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to separate, to cleanse, to purify. So how are we to separate and cleanse and purify our mind? The Lord Jesus prays it. Sanctify, separate, purify us in the truth. God's word is truth. Be in the word. So who is the blessed man of Psalm 1? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is every man, and it is every woman, and it is every boy, and it is every girl who belongs to Jesus because they also receive the blessings through him. And so if you belong to God, Psalm 1 will be then the pattern of your life. This is the way to true happiness. This is the pathway to God's blessing. So God, by his word, is directing you towards the blessed path. Will you submit to that? Let me encourage you. God will meet you right where you are at. Right where you're at. Be real with God. Be real with him about your condition. Confess your sin to him and turn to Jesus by faith, trusting in him alone for forgiveness and salvation. And you too, you too can enter the way of the godly if you will trust Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, we we ask that you would keep us from the temptation and the deceptions of this world. Calls us to love you, the God of the Bible. And calls us to love your word, the Bible. And oh God, we ask you, we ask you that these psalms would minister abundant grace to us. And that these psalms would be an immovable foundation for us as you advance your church. In Christ's precious name, amen.